0: I had a conversation with somebody the other day about hearing God and prophecy. And they said, um, I prayed and asked God to take me into more of the fullness that He has for me. And now I wish I hadn't prayed that prayer. It was a very dangerous prayer. By the way, think about that. Why do we act like asking God to make us like Jesus is dangerous? I, th- I think what that shows, oh, you said it the other night. I said, I said, it's like when we're scared to pray for patience because of what that might m- mean. What did, how did you say it? You said, yeah, I want you to make me patient without all that. <laughs> without all that. But actually, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he says, and lead us not into temptation, a good interpretation of that, the word would more be like, Suffering. It it would almost be like saying, God, please spare us from trials. You know we're weak. You know we're feeble. You know we're fragile. Like, first of all, God, you're not. You're amazing. All the power is yours. All the glory is yours. You're incredible. You can handle it. But we, but we, like I said on Sunday, every one of those disciples, when Jesus said, This is what's gonna happen, you're all gonna be scattered, and they're like, Not me. I'm not going anywhere. None of them knew themselves. But Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray in accordance with an understanding, with a humble understanding of our frailty and weakness. God, you know I can't handle much. You've seen how I've not been able to handle some of these hard trials I've had in the past. Would you please rescue me? Spare me? Would you spare me, God? That's okay to pray. He put it in the Lord's Prayer. Spare me, God. You know I'm weak. I want to do right, but when tempted, I don't often have what it takes, God, and you know that about me. It's not an excuse, is it? It's an awareness that He's amazing, and I'm not. I'm not amazing. I don't know why we say that. I think it's in my generation, we started saying, instead of saying, I really like you, we started saying to people, You're amazing. Please welcome to the stage, so and so as we hand someone a mic, they're amazing. And I'm like, I kind of agree with those old guys when I grew up said, only God's amazing. Like I kind of agree with that, not with the grumpiness, but actually do, without the grumpiness. I, I'm like, I'm not impressed with us. Anyone who's impressed with us needs an upgrade in both their understanding of the glory of God, but also an understanding of the frailty of us. Because I don't just need forgiveness from what I've done. I need release and forgiveness for who I've been. Are you with me? Yep. Okay. How did I even get on that? So, yes, okay. So I was talking to a friend and they said, make me more like you. Basically, take me into the fullness. And I said, okay, so what happened that has you now freaked out? Because they're like, oh, no, I shouldn't have prayed that dangerous prayer. And I'm like, first of all, you should. You should pray that dangerous prayer. And what happened? Don't you want to know what happened? I wanted to know. Because, you know, God loves those prayers when we mean them. And, he go, and I said, what happened? She goes, he started telling me to go give messages to people. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. It's terrifying. I said, why is it terrifying? Well, first, what if I misrepresent him by getting it wrong? What if I misheard the message? What if, I, what, if I, what if I misshare the message? What if I'm not living a godly enough life to warrant being the vessel of the message? You hear that one? You ever feel that one? Pick someone godlier. Are you sure? you Am I sure I'm hearing? And then how about this one? She said, what about is my motive even pure? Do I just have an unhealthy need to be seen as spiritual? I'm like, I love this. I love all this. This is good. I said, so what if you do? So what if you're aware of the temptation to be seen as spiritual and you know that your motive ought to be love? Because that's in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the spiritual gifts passages. There's a reason 1 Corinthians 13 is in there and it's not so we can read it at weddings. It's directly in the conversation about tongues and prophecy. And it's saying, make this your motive. Make love, not proving you're spiritual. Our identity doesn't come from ministering. Our identity comes from the gospel. And if we know who we are in the gospel, now we're free to minister. Whether they receive it or not isn't going to break us because we're not finding ourselves through ministry. We're doing ministry because we found ourselves through Jesus. Are you with me? So I said, so let's say you become aware that your motive, say you're, you're just minding your own business, and all of a sudden you feel like the Lord says, go over and tell that person, I'm not like your dad. Do I have to? And <laughs> what does that even mean? Because what if you don't know anything about their dad? And you're wondering, is this even God? But then if you go home and you don't do it, then you're sure it was God. (laughs) But in the moment, in in the moment, (laughs) it took you a month. That means you had a month. If it was on the airplane and you never saw the guy again, then you just have what I call regret. Mm. And you did it. Good job. So you know what this is about. You, you've, you've had this, this whole idea is we're supposed to be led by the Spirit because we're the sons and daughters of the living God. And all who are. Go ahead.
1: I was at work and uh, I seen this over black gentleman walking down the street and I didn't I, I knew it. He just deep down in my heart, I felt it. Mm. And uh, he just did not look well. And I was like, Lord, uh, I wish there was something I could do for him. I was like, you know, I'm at work, Lord, but I wish there was something I could do for him. About an hour, hour and a half goes by. He comes walking back by. Well, I didn't even know he was like starting to come by. So the Lord said, Go over to the truck, grab an apple, and give it to that man. I went, okay. I go over to the truck, grab the apple, and I walk around to the front of the truck, and there, there he is. I'm like, hey, wait, <laughs> don't go nowhere. Here, take this. He took it? Yeah.
0: Did he said, eat oh, it? Oh, man,
1: thank you, thank you. He was like, man, I really appreciate that. And I was like, yeah, I was like, have a blessed day. Jesus loves you. I just, I felt you know, really, really I felt good. Like, I felt lit. Hmm. Like, that was, that was crazy.
0: Just in the yeah. way things. Because and in both of, of those out. stories that you guys told, it went well? Yeah. But if it had gone poorly, the danger would be that it goes into the wrong file and causes us to be more resistant to the promptings of the Spirit later, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's good, it's good when the Lord starts us out with merciful little successes um, because not everyone's going to respond to the Lord that way. Some people really are offended by love and some people are wired to misinterpret what we're saying, what we're so doing. That's good.
1: I've seen the smile. He had a mask but I could just see the smile yeah. that it created.
0: Somewhere up in these eyes. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So what I was saying was, we're the the sons and daughters of of the Lord. It says we're led by all who are led by the Spirit. This is Romans chapter eight. If you, if you need footnotes, all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So Jesus, he says, I only do what, what I see the father, what the Father's up to, and I only say what I, hear. So his school where he learned, because they were like shocked whenever he would. When, when, he, when he would talk about God, the people were like in awe. Mark's gospel has this repeatedly. They were in awe and said, what kind of teaching is this? Because they were used to people who quoted people. But Jesus was saying what the Father was saying. It was relationship with the Father that gave him his direction and his energy and his insight and that, that's different than living out of books that's very different isn't it than living out of books which is why people joking call semi- seminary cemetery and all that kind of you know. but it's possible by the way to be deeply intellectual and have lots of books and be on fire I had some professors who were like that and trust me that's a good thing that's a good, but not everyone is. Okay, so this, this, this friend says, I prayed this dangerous prayer and now I'm getting these, these prompts, these uh, indications from God that I'm supposed to go say this to this person or maybe go remind this person of that. And it's really hard and scary and I don't trust myself. Yeah. And, I, and what if, sometimes I get a message and I, and I go, but what does that mean? And, and she says, what if, she's like, I, I really read people, and I work hard to, to not be premature, and uh, I, I try to build relationship with people first, not just like cram Jesus at them right away, but I try to build relationship and make connection, and I said, and he's hurrying you up, isn't he? I said, he's trying to take heavy freight across a rope bridge, or no, I didn't say it that way, but I was like, he's... He's quicker than you, isn't he? And I talked about times in this church when I was literally telling God to slow down because he's going to lose him. There were days when I literally told God, slow down! Because my picture was always, I have a kite string tied to a shipping, uh, like a freighter, you know? Huge, like full of those uh, of, of, uh, shipping containers. And I've got a, a kite string, and I'm trying to pull her into port. And I know that if I pull too hard too fast, it'll break the cord, and we'll just lose her, and she'll go. So I'm like, God, you've got to be careful. You may be in a hurry, Lord, but these people have a pace. And uh, so one morning, I'm headed to church, and I see a shofar, just a picture of a shofar. So here's your teaching, by the way. That's a one. One. I see a picture of a shofar. So that's the revelation. That's what God showed me. What God shows you or what God says is called revelation. Now, that's not a prophecy. That's that's the first step of a prophecy. That's a seed. So I get this shofar and instantly I go, Oh, no. Because, guys, what is a shofar for? In ancient Israel, what is it for? It's not a musician's instrument, guys. I don't know why people are trying to blow it during church while we're trying to sing. Not helpful. It's not... Isn't it like a victory thing? No. That was for the start of them. When I blow a shofar, what does it mean? Everybody wakes up, puts their armor on, and runs to where it's blowing, ready to fight. It's a call to war. Not later, now. So when, the, when I drive and Aaron Sterling is driving, and I'm in the passenger seat, and we're headed home. We're, we're going to church, and I see a shofar, and I go, oh, Lord, no, this can't be good. Because that's warfare vision. Like, I'm like, is this what you're telling me you're up to today? Yeah. And I was like doing my whole, go slow, don't lose the Mennonites. They do not ready for this Holy Spirit stuff, Lord. You, like, just don't even use charismatic language. Don't say, don't say, I got blasted by the Holy Spirit. Don't say that. Just, no, don't. with it. Don't say that. Don't, no, don't say that. You say things like, we had a blessed time.
1: <laughs> oh, so yeah. you got to sugarcoat it.
0: It's the same thing. It's different language. Yeah.
1: That is not the same thing. <laughs> no, it's not. That's sugarcoated. <laughs> it's snatch the Band-Aid, I off of <laughs> your bandaid off them. the off them. Let them grow up. And You see what happened?
0: So I see this show for That's revelation. Okay. Now, what's my interpretation? I just told you my interpretation. 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 Okay, revelation. What God showed me. Like one time I'm over here and I'm praying for two young ladies whose marriages are not in a good place. And I see like running shoes. Guys, I struggled. I didn't want to say it because I didn't have an interpretation yet. I still don't know to this day what I should have done because I had no interpretation. And so I made, I I did my best to make sense of it. And I said some stupid crap that probably wasn't Jesus. And what I should have done is nothing, until I had an interpretation. Sometimes we're in such a hurry, especially if you're an American. You don't know what it's like to pray on it for a couple of months. Go ahead. Yeah, I did, but I should have shut up then because I didn't know. <laughs> And then, and then other times I've noticed that sometimes when I get a revelation, if I share the revelation, they have a different interpretive language than, than with God than me. Like, for example, if I see a lion, I know it's courage, because the righteous are as bold as a lion. But somebody else over here, their personal private language might be, to them, lion means temptation, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. I see an eagle, and I say, ooh, that's prophetic. 'Cause eagles can see so far. Bless him God.
1: That's technical rescue. But there was an accident.
0: I saw that. It didn't look as serious as that that sounds though. So if I see an eagle, I'm thinking prophetic. But if somebody else sees an eagle, they might be having some completely different symbolism. It might mean something different to them. But because I'm the one the revelation's coming to, I'm more mindful of what the Lord's trying to say to me for them. Because it's not the job of a prophet to confuse everyone, it's the job of a prophet to bring some understanding to someone. So an immature prophet's just gonna, like, half baked, start spouting revelation. That's half-baked. That's not mature. That's babies in the faith yet in terms of the gift. A mature prophet doesn't confuse... If you see the word cancer over someone, my friend years ago, I I say this a lot because it's very helpful, my friend saw the word cancer over someone. That's That's revelation. Now, what if she had walked right up to them and said, I see cancer over you. That would be absolutely unhelpful. But be, and depending on your theology, be, depending on your theology, you think God just likes cancer to teach people character. So you might, with, depending on your theology, it's going to affect how you interpret what God reveals. But because my theology says, Jesus healed all the sick that were brought to him and he commanded us to heal the sick in his name because his blood brings forgiveness And healing, because sin and sickness and death are all the other kingdom. And wholeness and forgiveness and restoration and cleansing, all that is God's kingdom. So the interpretation of the word cancer is don't even go up to her. You don't even have to go up to her. You can right then and there use your authority in the heavenly realm and pray healing and break cancer off and speak God's good thing over her. Now, if you really feel called to, you can tell her, if you're having a lot of doubt, you can say, please go get a checkup. I just have a... Why Just answer me a question, if you want. But that could freak her out, too. But that would be under the last one. And I really already said the last one. Praying for healing is the application of it in that situation. So there's three layers to... And, and I'm getting this. Like You can look this up in like tons of how the prophets operate. For example, I'll give you just several examples. Jeremiah 24... Should I flip there? I don't know this one. This is a new Bible. Where'd they hide Jeremiah in this one? (laughs) There we go. Is it hot in here or is it just me? After King Nebuchadnezzar, Jeremiah 24, after King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon exiled, okay, whatever. After King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon exiled Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim. Really? Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim, King of Judah, to Babylon, along with the officials, blah, 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 the Lord gave me this vision. I saw two baskets of figs placed in front of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. What's that? That's Revelation. I saw two baskets of figs. That doesn't mean anything until it's interpreted, does it? I saw two baskets of figs placed in front of the Lord's temple in Jerusalem. One basket was filled with fresh, ripe figs, while the other was filled with bad figs, too rotten to eat. Then the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I replied, figs. Some very good, some very bad, too rotten to eat. That's Revelation. Revelation. Here comes interpretation, verse 4. Then the Lord gave me this message. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The good figs represent... Now hold on now. Let's just say you were Jeremiah in the flesh, a human, trying to make sense of it. If you had to guess, here in the middle, of some of God's people have been exiled, some are still home. You see a vision of good figs and bad figs, If you had to guess, you think the good figs get to live at home in the promised land? Do you think the good figs get taken away? This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The good figs represent the exiles that I sent from Judah into the land of the Babylonians. Guys, this is what I'm trying to say. Revelation comes from God. You don't make it up interpretation comes from God. You don't get to make it up. This is why it makes me a little uncomfortable when somebody gets an insight, a dream, a revelation, and then we go into a long conversation where everyone gets to weigh in with their opinion about what it might mean. Human speculation. We don't need speculation. We need revelation. And usually the revelation is going to come to the person who got the revelation. Usually, not always. Sometimes, if you're real confused, you can go to a really mature prophetic person and they can help you get an interpretation. But they're getting an interpretation from the Holy Spirit, not from a book, not from a YouTube channel, not from a Twitter feed, not from an encyclopedia of how to interpret dreams. Don't read that crap. Know your God, read your book. Pray your prayers. Develop your own personal language with God through living through stuff and having Him make the book yours and having Him make certain meaningful metaphors that are part of your fabric with Him. The message usually comes, the the metaphors from God's message usually come from the life of the dreamer. And so they make sense to the dreamer. Okay. Application. Real quick, application. Real quick. So, years and years later, Daniel. Not Jeremiah, Daniel. In Daniel chapter 9, it says that when he understood from the book of Jeremiah that the the exile was going to last 70 years, he got on his face and he wept and he, he fasted and he repented for sins he didn't commit. He didn't stand in judgment and anger at the people of God. That's, that's a danger for us, guys. To see what the church is doing or what people are failing to do and then stand back separate from them and go, Idiots. And Jeremiah doesn't separate himself from the people of God. He repents as though he himself had committed the sins. That was his application. Revelation, figs. Interpretation, good figs are going away for 70 years. And his application was, I'm going to fall on the mercy of God because this this means we're coming under divine judgment. That's That's how rebellious we've been as God's people. If it's so bad, God's having to like send us out of here and shake us up to break us out of these patterns, to wake us up and put us to where we need him again, then we really have to come home in our hearts. It's Daniel. Daniel's so... Uh, Daniel and Joseph, I love them so much because where I see in the Old Testament so many times God's people... We talked about, did we talk about this on Sunday? Um, like after church? So many times God's people screw this up. And I was saying this to my mom that God's people in the Old Testament, instead of living as missionaries to the culture and building bridges to the culture, but living holy lives that honor God so that the culture can see a better way, we tend to just compromise and live like the culture. We're of instead of in and not of. And my mom says to me, Joseph and Daniel didn't, and that landed on me like a brick, like poof. And I go, you're right, because I love when I find examples. So Joseph and Daniel, if I was a Pokemon guy, those would be like my Pokemon that's the, the, the little ones would understand. In other words, Joseph and Daniel are like my guides. They're my examples. They're in culture, but they're utterly holy. They're disciplined. They're dug in, and they're with the Father. You can't stop Daniel from praying. He's not going to stop. Three times a day, is it three or five? Three times a day, he's on his face, facing the, the temple he doesn't have access to, because God had said that that's where he's going to make his name dwell. And he would honor. He said it when Solomon prayed it. That's what Solomon prayed. Let your name dwell here so that prayers offered in this place or even towards this place. You're going to honor them because of your covenant with David. And Daniel goes, I'm taking that to heart. And he's seeking God's face no matter the cost. I love those guys so much. But that's, a, that's application. Can you imagine if the revelation comes to us and we hear the good figs, bad figs, and we just in the flesh try to figure it out? How many times are we just like getting it? Revelation is from the Lord. Interpretation is from the Lord. Stan had a comment. Yeah. Now, with the, with the revelation, does that work? Does that work the same way if you have a vision? Should we talk about a biblical vision? So Peter in Acts chapter ten has a vision of a sheet. He's hungry. <laughs> he's real hungry because he was fasting. And it says, it's in the afternoon. They're preparing food downstairs. And he's so hungry. And he's up on the roof praying. And it says, and he fell into a trance. And in this trance, he had this vision of a sheep being lowered down from the sky. Lowered down from heaven. And all, this, all these animals that are not legal for a Jew to eat. Animals that the Old Testament dietary law said, you are not allowed to eat these animals are in the sheep, and he hears a voice say, "Get up, Peter, kill and eat." And he interprets this voice as saying something illegal. "No way, Lord, never have I in my life eaten anything or touched anything impure or unclean." Now I don't know if that's true or not, but he believed that was true. You know what I mean? Are you sure, buddy? Okay, he believes it. And it happened like three times? Did it happen three times? Somebody let to fact check me here? So that's Revelation. Now, did he then leave that place and stop eating kosher? Was that the point? Did he stop eating kosher after that? Was that the point? Maybe, but it wasn't the main point. It might have been built into the main point because in order to do what it was really about, he might have had to actually stop doing that too. Gentile showed up right at that moment from Cornelius. Cornelius has an angel come to him and say, Peter's at this guy's house on Straight Street or whatever. Is it Straight, Straight Street? Yeah. And he's praying. I love that detail. Come on. I wonder how many times we're available because we were praying. Come on. The phone's online, spiritually. Hey, there's a man over here. He's praying. Similar similar with Paul. Or maybe I'm mixing up those two stories. Am I mixing up those two stories? Okay. Okay. Straight streets, Paul. So I'm mixing up the two stories. Okay. There's a man. Okay. Okay. I'll mix up. I'll preach that on that passage. (laughs) Thank you for fact-checking me. Just when he sees the vision, and it ends, Gentiles are there. And Peter goes, "Ah, oh. so now he's got the interpretation. And then he gets there. The interpretation is, oh, I would call these people unclean and not go with them. I can't do that anymore because what God just said. Then he gets there, and he goes, okay, so I guess I'll tell him about Jesus. He tells them about Jesus, whammo. They become blessed. By the Holy Spirit. (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes, how am I supposed to, I have to baptize them. I mean, the baptism isn't as big a deal as the spirit baptism. Why, Duh, you baptize them. That's the application. The application is, you integrate them into the life of the church without making them be culturally Jewish. The application still applies to us today. We we include in the fellowship people on the basis of their faith in Jesus, not on the basis of their cultural um, similarity to us or acceptability. It's the word for that. You know what I mean. Okay, Stan, does that help? It's at least an example. All right, we all have examples from our own life. Okay, so one time I'm in India and a lady says to me, She's a stranger to me, but she's a very spirit-filled lady and she's one of these people you can tell spent a lot of time in prayer. (sighs) She says to me, I see, she's just praying over me, which I didn't ask her to do, but there she is. I see branches growing on your tree that, that that have grown without the Lord's leadership and he's cutting them away. Now I panicked See, I didn't know God well enough to know whatever he does is not only right, but for my good. I had just recently allowed myself to think about dating Carrie. In fact, my team leader had come to me and said, when this is all over, are you gonna date that girl? And I said, no. She said, why not? And I said, are you crazy? I'm gonna finally be free. I'm forced to be in close proximity to this girl, and all I want to do is French kiss her. Uh. It's not fun. I will be so happy to be away from her. Because all I knew was I, my past, all, the only sexuality that I practiced was evil sexuality. And so that whole, just even having that, those feelings stirred up felt sinful to me. And I knew enough to know that seeking my own happiness and pleasure and comfort had... <laughs> had hurt so many good people in my life and had created the hell on earth. That's how I created the hell on earth. He freed me from all that. You think I'm going back into it on purpose? No, I'm going to be out of here. I'm going to set up healthy boundaries. I said, and my wife heard me say this, I said, I'm just going to go to my preacher and ask him to arrange a marriage. And Carrie, and Carrie acted fine and then left and cri- like cried. Because she had dreamt about us dating like three nights in a row. And... Um, Because before that, she had this dream. She didn't even notice me. Then she had three nights in a row of of dreaming that we were together. And she was like... Then she took a look at me and was like, well, okay, okay. (laughs) And in fact, I think she went... No, she did not. (laughs) Mama like. So I had just recently opened my heart to the idea that... Because my team leader was furious with me and said... Tim, did you ever even stop to think that just for once maybe you could open your heart to the idea that God wants you happy? (laughs) And I was like, Are you dumb? God doesn't want me happy. He wants me holy. I'm going to go home. I'm going to do an arranged marriage. Roll (laughs) eyes here. Fast forward to like, I don't know, eight months later, six months later, maybe longer. And I had written a letter to my ex girlfriend completely making sure that I was emotionally free and clear of all that baggage because that was my first like complete romantic bond and I needed to put it completely away so I had written this letter and I would wept all day long, all day just heartbroken and that night, and the reason I did that was because I was working up the nerve to ask Carrie to date slash marry me yes, that is the truth my invitation to date. Basically, we, on our first date, we talked about how many kids we were going to have. And it was five. We wanted five. The first one was supposed to be named Josiah David, but when Gabe came, it just didn't work. I was like, that's not him. You know how that is. You feel their spirit in your, in your, when they're in the mother's womb. You're like, that's not right. This isn't who this person is. And then you see him, and you're like, oh, for sure, that's not right. Okay, I'm on my bed that night after writing this letter and crying all day long and all of a sudden this prophecy about branches growing without the Lord's leading comes back to me and how he's cutting them away. And all of a sudden I realized, and it was like the Father showed me, that's what we did today, son. We cut these branches off. And the reason we did it is so that I could bring you carry. And I was broken with, like, I didn't trust you, and all this time, I didn't trust you, all this time, I tucked that prophecy away in the, oh, heck no, put it on the shelf of, I hope not, and I don't know what to do with it, so I'll put it on the, on the shelf. And I tell people when I'm praying over them, if I, if I give them a prophecy that they don't resonate with, not to chuck it, not to throw it away, but to put it on the shelf. I'm very careful with my language. I say, if this doesn't resonate, put it on the shelf. I don't say, chuck it. Because you know how many times I've received a revelation or a prophecy and I misinterpreted it. I had one guy say to me, I see you preaching and I see, um, I see video behind you. I see something with sermons and video. And I was on an anti-technology kick during that time. Like hard anti-technology. Like I didn't want to use PowerPoints. I didn't want to use notes that were electronic. I didn't. All I wanted was... Was paper and human contact and spirit power and let's go, and uh, that word came right then, and I was like, I remember standing up and sh- I remember like almost like shaking my. Squinting and shaking the eyes of my heart, Lord, or something like that. You know, just like no, this guy's. And then I walked up to the prophet after and I said, You missed it. And he goes, Did I get anything right? And I'm like, did I get anything right? Anyone got stones to stone him? No, I'm kidding. I, I, that's, not, that's not my theology, but it was like, you're a big-name prophet, and you're asking if you got anything right. I said, yeah, you know, maybe 80% of that was right. Which, by the way, I don't remember the parts that resonated. I only remember the parts that didn't resonate. And the parts that didn't resonate have proven to be true.
1: Videos.
0: over years it was years one of the most powerful words he gave me was he said I see the Lord he said I don't know what this means but I see the Lord giving you your own space do you guys like rent or something I said no we have our own building already see another false prophecy you know and I didn't use the word false prophecy but I'm saying in my heart I thought really he's still up here I'm like he's just whiffing swinging at the pitches and it's nothing but air and whoosh. you know strike one you know, he had like three strikes in that thing. And, and I, I tell you what, now when I hear the word Rehoboth, which means space, I just about, see, I get very emotional. Because that word wasn't about a building. It's about, if you read the story of, of Isaac redug the wells of his father Abraham. It's not, about, it's not about having your own building. It's about an end to the contention, to where you have your own space to be yourself in peace. There's layers to it. No, I also wouldn't mind having a church in Rehoboth so we could go swimming in the ocean more often. But um, <laughs> my point is this. When we're trying to hear God's voice... And God could just speak plain English. But for some reason, he likes the process. Jeremiah 18. Hey, and the word of the Lord came to me. Go down to the potter's house. And there I will show you my word. What are you talking about? We're here. you talking now. Just talk to me now. Right? So one day I woke up and I'm reading Jeremiah 18. And I'm reading it. And he said, do it. And I go, right now? So I got in my car and I went, drove over to uh, Wilmore, onto Main Street and parked my car and looked up at the sign. The sign of the place says, The Potter's House. Custom uh, handmade pottery. I walk in. Ching, ching. Hello? Nobody's here. Oh, I hear somebody yell and come down the stairs and, guy's eating a bowl of cereal. He's got milk dripping down his goatee and he's wearing his PJs. And he's like, yeah, can I help you? I said, I don't know. God told me to come here. And he was a de-churched guy who was not in a good place with God who used to go to the church I was then a worship leader at. And I'd never even met him before. And he clearly was like, God sent you to me. And I'm like, I guess so. But here's, the real point I'm trying to make. Go down to the potter's house and there I'll give you my word. Why don't you just tell me now? Because he likes the process. Like, did you know life is in the journey? Not the destination. That's true, too. Mm. What if you don't lean in? When you hear the whisper of the Lord, what if Moses didn't come aside when he saw the burning bush? What if Jesus hadn't gone out into the wilderness to be by himself to seek his Father before he picked the twelve? What if Peter hadn't prayed? Now, I'm not saying God wouldn't turn up the volume. I think God's a God who knows how to turn up the volume. But in the Bible, I haven't noticed that it gets more fun when he turns the volume up.
1: He knows knows how to get your attention, that's for sure.
0: I'd rather listen to the still, small voice of the Lord than the Assyrian armies. Psalm 25, you confide... Do I have this right? Is it Psalm 25? Someone find this for me. The Lord confides in those who fear Him. Someone find that for me. Is it Psalm 25? You know the day that I realized that the New Testament misquotes the Old Testament because the person misremembered which book he was quoting it felt really good because like exactly and because I used to feel like oh no I sinned and it's like well they wrote that was in the Bible it's called a mistake they were right about what it said they just got the wrong address so it's not like they were lying and sometimes I do that too and that's good I mean it's not good that you get what I'm saying where is that? Is that Psalm 25? You confide? But here's the point I'm trying to make. Confiding is you're telling your secrets. The people who reverence the Lord, He can tell them His secrets. The people who lean in. The question that was on my heart this like today was are we, I think I wrote it down, a growth mindset seeking. What are you seeking? Are you still seeking? Because when you first found the Lord, I promise you, there was seeking going on. You might not have known He was what you were seeking. You might have thought you were seeking something else. But there was seeking going on. And if you had a season where you stopped growing, i just about bet before you stopped growing, you stopped seeking. Seeking is not how you initially come to the faith. Seeking is an essential, permanent component of the faith. And it's a part of our health. Which is why this whole thing of comfort is such a You know, the way you get out of it is you don't just do painful things. No, No, you you seek Him, even if it's painful. You don't intentionally try to make it as painful as possible. You seek Him and you learn to enjoy the parts of it that happen to be painful. Uh, Here's a, a true statement. Was I right? Is it Psalm 25? Well, I will find it later then. Google didn't tell you this? The Lord, watch, watch Google. The Lord confides in those who fear Him. Psalm twenty-five, fourteen. Bam. Psalm twenty-five, fourteen. That'll work. Yeah, if you look at a bunch of parallels, you'll find that the meaning of that is pretty. Yeah, but even there, the Lord is a friend. Come on, that's different than like. Was he preaching a whole sermon on that passage? Oh no, he was reading it to you. Yeah, he was going to read you Psalm 25 in that very intense, reverent voice. Right.
1: And I, and, I, and I tried to, you know, mm. say, well, I need to go somebody that probably has had these kind of things before to, you know, and I called up Brian Connolly. Nothing I, wrong with I, it. Wrong, yeah, yeah. And, and so I got it. He, he was right what he said, and yet I was on the wrong people. And yet uh. I got the wrong people. I didn't go to them.
0: The thing about, about what we're talking about is sometimes people think, oh, oh this is for the hyper-spiritual. There's, in kind of their mind, there's 3% of the church is prophets. So Tim's talk tonight is for 3% of the, of the church. No, no, no. All God's people are precious to the Lord and all God's sheep, in a variety of ways, hear the Lord. And what most of us need to hear is that the unique ways we are oriented to hear it counts. It, it counts. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe you don't get a sense of, go across the room and tell that person their social security number. Like, whoa, what? And because you don't hear like that, you go, I guess I guess it's not for, this talk isn't for me. But what if you notice someone isn't included? Does that count? Yeah. Yeah. And what if you feel sad that they're not included sure. and you think... You should do something about it. Does that count? So many little things count as being led by the Spirit, hearing God that we disqualify and view as not as less spiritual. But I'm like, actually, Jesus was so sensitive because the more responsive we are to the voice of love, the more subtle and quiet God can be. We'd think it's the opposite. We'd say, some people would say, the more you obey, um, the, the clearer you'll hear mm. I would put it this way the more you obey the less loud the Lord will have to speak until it's finally almost like you're just moving and flowing like like a waltz where you don't have to say what you're about to do you can almost feel the hand leading you this direction you know what I mean? And, and I, wonder, I wonder if the Holy Spirit's like, could you let me lead the dance? Because he's willing to work with us. He really is willing to work with us. But I wonder if there's something really really subtle and maybe real mature about the idea of not forcing things, being more patient, and at the same time being more surrendered. Because... Um, praying a prayer, I surrender to you, Lord, take me deeper, and then immediately saying, that was a dangerous prayer. I don't... I take it back. I just won't pray
1: patience myself. But...
0: <laughs> I think as long as we are aware of our frailties, like I said at the beginning, the, if we're aware of our frailties, like I said at, at the beginning then we know that this process is going to be messy and that we're not praying to... When we pray to be more faithful and we pray to be more surrendered, we're not praying to feel stronger. A lot of us think we are. We think, if I feel stronger, I'm getting stronger. But Paul in 2 Corinthians actually says, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And the more inadequate I feel, oftentimes I'm less going to take any credit for whatever, and if anything good happens at all this, in this situation, I'm going to give all the credit to God, because I am not the one doing that. And so, like what God said to Paul was, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now that was a bit of a unique situation in the sense that it was a, say that again? I
1: hope that happens March
0: 12th. Are you that nervous? Wow, he's preaching in here on the 12th.
1: It's always been that
0: when it comes to public I've talked enough. All right, let's pray. I got to share. Oh, he's got something to share.
1: So 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 we talk about hearing the voice of God. mhm
0: Why did you start doing it that way? I don't know. It was just something that I did. I, I, like, it was like something that, that he gave to me in the beginning. And it was like so it was a way for you to handle and, 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 and embrace the fact that there was a measure of doubt as to whether or not this was really God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And God worked with that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, and,
1: and that's good enough. Or I can feel it in my spirit. Mm. I can feel it in my, in my gut. Yeah, Tom, yeah, a, so. But yeah, I just wanted to share that. The time took me. Especially like encounters in a day. Sometimes you meet people and then no, you know cares. you're supposed to meet them. You know, it wasn't an accident. Mm. <laughs> no,
0: but you were there at that time. Bless you. Twice. <laughs> uh, here was one final piece of advice that I gave to my friend, and that is. Uh, Try to share what you, pers- what you think God is saying to you in a manner that you don't have to be sure because you're humble about your process. And instead of saying, the Lord said to me that I'm supposed to say to you that in 12 months, $14,700 is coming to your account. That kind of stuff, by the way, you know, mates, dates, and babies are really hard to hear correctly and very high stakes and probably don't go there. But the other thing is, try not to say the Lord said. Instead, say, um, I'm trying to grow in hearing God's voice, and I feel like I just sense the Lord say this, and when I asked what it meant, I kind of got the impression of this. Does that resonate with you? If not, that's fine. I'm really interested to hear how this lands on you. Um, and does that even make sense to you? If they immediately say, because usually what happens to me is they go, I, I'll, oftentimes I'll say, did that make sense to you? And they'll usually say, yes. And I'll say, did any of that resonate with you? And they'll say, usually they'll say, yes. And if you're Stan, they almost always say yes. Um, usually they'll say, yes. And then I'll say, did anything I say hurt your feelings or offend you in any way? And I really do mean that, and let's talk about it if I did. And they'll usually say, no. Uh, But the reason I do that is because the Bible is so clear that we're not to treat prophecy with contempt, but we are to test things. Now, the reason, there are many reasons why people treat prophecy with contempt. And one of them is that they've been hurt. They've been oftentimes hurt, or they've seen bad examples where even if it didn't hurt them, they didn't see it as having integrity. The process didn't have integrity, and it didn't seem actually beneficial There's a number of reasons why people could be tempted to treat prophecy with contempt, but we're called to not just test prophecies, but also to share them in such a way that we encourage people to test them. We're called to test them. That's faithful, but there's a balance there, isn't there? Sometimes, uh, sometimes I don't even want a word from anybody else. I just want to hear from God for myself. And and part of that is because sometimes when God gives me a word through someone else, it's on a topic that I'm not quite ready to hear from Him on yet.
1: Oh yeah, I know exactly what you mean. He's been thanks, Stan.
0: Thanks, (laughs) Stan. Am I right? Oh, he
1: throws Stan here, Stan. Tell John this, and I'm like, really? That's why a lot of people run when they when they know prophetic. Like they don't
0: want you know to <laughs> so yeah and we prophesy in part and we know in part so so to be a prophetic person doesn't mean you walk into the room and you know everyone's backstory and sins but okay are you guys can you stand up
1: yeah prophecy isn't there like you said and sometimes all prophecies are mm-hmm. not going to come true if you don't walk where it yeah, course, the walk yep. You can't always hey, say, well, that prophecy is wrong. Brother. You know, because, you
0: know, maybe something... Did y'all hear what, what she just said? I didn't. She said some prophecies are not for right now. Oh, so later. for later. And so they, won't, they might not resonate for now. Well, and they're for maybe years later. And then, how did you say the second part? Sometimes, even though you're given a prophecy, doesn't mean it's going to come about
1: if you're not... Yeah. Be and doing what you're
0: Some to. prophetic words are about what the Lord's going to do no matter what, but yes. some oh. prophetic words are conditional. Yes. If you'll me. do this, I'll, I'll do, do this. this. Yeah. 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 You got, you got one. one.
1: I don't know why. I'm still sitting on the shelf because I can't blow
0: the thing. <laughs> well, it doesn't bother me when people.
1: It doesn't
0: it never bothers me. It doesn't it doesn't bother me when someone blows it in church. It bothers me when it's not in tune with the band.
1: It was
0: it was I a lot to do with like I'm like, used to be a I say to Doug all the time, tune your trumpet. And then he does, and it sounds much better. <laughs> all right, let's pray. Let's pray. Papa, we thank you for your love. Thanks, God, that you're demystifying things that in some parts of the church are pretending, they're pretending that it's evil and bad and scary because we're going to throw our Bibles away, and it's the opposite of the truth. Your Bible teaches us to expect you to speak to us, and you'll never undermine your Bible. If the Spirit spoke the Bible and the Spirit speaking to me, you will not contradict yourself. And the Spirit, if it's the Spirit of Jesus, will never do anything to drive anyone away from Jesus. Now, they might take it that way and they might run away because the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. But your goal in prophesying is always to draw us closer to Jesus so we'll look more like Jesus, so that we'll love with the love of Jesus. So we ask God, let's pray that dangerous prayer. God, take me into the fullness of what you have for me. Amen.